Before we begin, I just want to just talk with you for a moment. Our theme for 2012 was moving forward. And it's kind of funny. Sometimes I don't want to do themes because I feel like the theme that I pick then becomes the battle line for me. Have you ever experienced those kind of things? Our theme that I felt like God wanted us to have for 2012 was moving forward. And I thought that meant that everybody's just going to jump on board. And, you know, like the children of Israel, and we're going to cross over. If you remember, we preached through the book of Joshua and all the victories. And everybody just jumps on board and we all just move forward. And we go in and we possess the land. And everybody does what they're supposed to. And everything falls into place. But to be honest with you, sometimes that's not what happens. Sometimes whenever we have this theme, and that's what I thought. I thought, man, everyone's just going to say, hey, we're moving forward. And so everyone's just going to like hop on board and everyone's going to do what they're supposed to all year. And and we can just go ahead and do whatever God asks us to do. At the end of the year, as I look back, I believe that maybe God had a different, this is my interpretation of it, and I can be wrong. Sometimes when you're moving forward in your journey, you come into some difficult places. You may go through a marsh. You may get stuck somewhere in our yard. Years ago, we first moved there. We had our yard, and and before we filled in the backyard, we had, it was almost like a ski slope down. You came out the side of the house, it dropped down one level so that we have a walkout basement. And then there, whenever they were building the house, the, the, the builder, just instead of giving me a backyard, he just made this steep bank. And so you'd come out of our driveway and you'd go down a slope. It would level out just for a second and then it would go down another slope. And then there was a big dirt pile at the bottom. And so the kids, it was a great place to go sledding. Five years ago and the kids were younger and it was awesome. But right outside of our garage door, that's where we would go sledding. And, you know, we got a really nice snow that year. And the kids were having a great time, and, and they actually brought out their sodas. They had sodas. We were outside. They brought out sodas. And, you know, on a fresh snow, they wanted to make a slushy out of the fresh snow. And so the kids pour their sodas into the snow and want to eat the snow. I, you know, I went down the hill. I come back up. I see them pouring out their sodas in the snow and, and starting to eat that. And then I reminded them, when you walk out of the door, out of the garage, that's where we have our dog, Kaylee. We have her tied up. We have a place out there where we tie her up. So when she goes outside to go to the bathroom, that's the only place she goes. And the kids are out there making slushy out of the snow right where Kelly's poopy area is. And I said to him, what are you guys doing? This is where Kelly goes to the bathroom. They're like, ah! (laughs) But, you know, in life, in life, there's some places that are kind of like where Kelly goes to the bathroom. There's some areas that we go through where, like, I don't need to be gross, but there's some places where we step in stuff. We're like, oh, oh, the dog goes out here. Don't stay there. When I look back at our year and I look back at the thing of moving forward is there's times where you're going to come into places in life that are poopy. 
They stink. There's times where you're going to come into experiences where you feel like you get bogged down. You know, you're moving forward and you go through a big swamp. Well, I believe what the word, for, the word from the Lord for this year was, move forward, move forward, don't stay there. You can come through those places and we wish we never did. We wish we were always on like a well-paved road and nothing interfered like an interstate. But sometimes God takes us through valleys and sometimes there's streams we got across. And sometimes there's difficult places that we get into. And sometimes it feels like our wheels, we're spinning our wheels. But you have a choice to move forward from that place. A lot of times we think, well, I'm in this place. I'm in this place. And I guess I'm just stuck in this place. I'm in this circumstance. And I believe that as I look back on this year, that God was saying to us, in spite of what you go through, just keep moving forward. Well, wait a minute. I was delayed. Well, okay. Just keep moving forward. Well, things happened that I didn't want to happen. That's okay. You don't have to stay there. Just keep moving forward. And it felt like the Lord gave us this year for our theme, no regrets. And I was like, oh, crud. I hate doing this. After I wrote it down and started telling people, saying about it, then I thought, you know what I know this year is going to be filled with for me? Like a bunch of stinking regrets. I'm going to do like really dumb stuff. Oh, God, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Living in poverty, the joy of living in poverty. Then God bless me like crazy. Because it's like, as I said, it seems like there's a resistance when we do that. But this idea of living with no regrets, I don't think as I look at it, I don't think it means that we're never going to make a mistake. I think there's something different to it than that. I think maybe it's in the beginning of the year that we look further ahead and we say, what are the things that I will never regret doing? In my life, if I make these decisions, what will I never regret? And as we look ahead, you know, I've never regretted anything that I surrendered to God. I've never There has been nothing in my life where I've truly surrendered it to God that I regret that. Nothing. I can't think of a single thing that I have yielded to God that I regret giving to him. Now, I want us to take a moment and we're going to go ahead and get into our message now. And you can turn to James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. James 4, 1 through 10. And I'd like to begin by asking you a question. What do you think is the root cause of sin and all the devastating effects that sin causes? Any ideas? Quickly. The flesh. What else? Pride. Selfishness. What else? Rebellion. That's a good one. What else? I believe that What Dave mentioned is one of the real root causes of sin, selfishness. It's hard to sin when you are being selfless. When you're being selfless, it's hard to sin. When you say, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. When you are being selfish, you can justify and rationalize any action or behavior. 
even things that are absolutely contrary to Scripture. I want you to think about it. When you're being selfish, you can justify almost any behavior at all. Let me explain something. If you're doing things that are contrary to Scripture, yet somehow you feel at peace about it, you are being deceived. That is not the peace of the Holy Spirit. That's a deceiving spirit that is at work in your life. God does not change. His standards do not deviate from what his word says. Society might change, community standards might change, and mores might change, but God never changes. So when we ask this question again, what is selfishness? And a lot of people say, well, that's easy. That's when a person doesn't share their stuff. That's one form of selfishness. The child who won't let others play with their toys. A lot of times you can see that from the time children are very little. There's certain children who will share. And there's others who they want their toys. And they want every other toy in the room. But there are people who are generous with their stuff. And generous with their finances. Who are still very selfish. So it's not just sharing your stuff. Selfishness is simply this. I want my way. And if you take notes, I would encourage you to write that down. Selfishness is just this statement. I want my way. Then it moves a little further. I need my way. I don't just want my way. I need my way. Then it goes a little further than that. And it says, I deserve. I deserve to have my way. I want it, then we convince ourselves that I need it, then we convince ourselves that I deserve it, and then we say to other people, don't you get in my way or I won't be happy. See, we think that for happiness to come in our lives, we think for me to be happy, for me to be fulfilled, I need this. I don't just want it, for me to really be happy, I need it. It's not fair if I don't get it. I can't be happy if I don't get it. Then we go on and we say, I deserve it. And then we say to people, don't get in my way, or I absolutely won't be happy. Eventually, selfishness becomes, I want what I want. And I don't care who it hurts or what it costs others, I'm going to have it. I want what I want, and I don't care. We don't say that, but that's when selfishness grows. That's what it becomes. We don't say that in our head, but that's what our actions say. Our actions say, I want what I want, and I'm going to get it at any cost. Now, James writes about this in James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James asks a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now I want to say this to you. Fights and quarrels is the opposite of peace. Fights and quarrels is the activity of war. 
And he says to them, what causes the absence of peace among you? A lot of people will say he's only talking about one area, but I believe he's talking about two areas. I believe he's talking about the absence of peace between people, what causes problems between people, but also what causes the absence of peace inside of people. You see that? What causes this war? What causes this absence of peace? Then James goes on and he answers his own questions. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Or don't they come from the lust that war inside of you? Now, when we hear the word lust, we often think of lust as being associated with sexuality. But there are many forms of lust. A lust for recognition, a lust for approval, a lust for power, a lust for position, a lust for vengeance, a lust for security or material possessions or pleasure. And oftentimes people will look to external circumstances and situations as the cause of strife or the lack of peace in their lives. And if you're listening, please listen up to this part. They'll look to outside circumstances as why there's a problem. Why am I at war inside of myself? Why am I angry? Why am I frustrated? Why am I not getting along with the people around me? And we look to these external circumstances or situation. Let me just say very clearly, people do not like to accept responsibility. We like to be able to blame others or circumstances for this war. Why am I not at peace? Well, I want to look around and I want to find someone who's around me who I can blame for why I don't have peace. I want to blame what somebody else did for why I can't get along with people. But James is very clear. He states clearly that the real problems come from inside of the individual. That's what James says. James identifies it. He says, doesn't it come from inside of you? It's not necessarily the external circumstances, but what's inside of you. I want to say this to you. You can have peace in the most difficult situations, even whenever you have a bunch of crazy people around you. You can have peace even when you are in a difficult environment. You can have peace even when you are in difficult relationships, okay? Because God gives us the power to choose to have that peace. In verse 2, James says, you desire. In other words, he says to them, he says, you set your minds or your heart on a particular object. You've set your affections, you've set your desires upon a particular object, But you don't have it, so you kill. Now, some commentators say that this has to do with envy. I think we can say that these internal selfish desires drive people to do whatever it takes to satisfy their desires. They'll do whatever it takes. I want my way. And I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get my way. I want you to think about someone who steals. For a person who steals... They don't think, it doesn't matter how hard you had to work for what you have. It doesn't matter what sentimental value that has to you or how long it took you to get it. I want what I want 
the person says, and so they go and take it. They don't care. A person who steals doesn't care about the damage that they do to be able to steal. Maybe they see something in your car, and so they'll break the window of your car, or they'll break a door, or break a window to get into your house to steal something, and cause more damage financially by breaking in than the value of what they're stealing, but they don't care about that because I want what I want, so I'm going to take it. Think about someone who lies. It doesn't matter who gets hurt or how it affects others' reputations. It's simply, I want people to believe what I want them to think. That's all that matters. I don't care whether I break your trust. I don't care whether I cause a lot of problems. I just have a certain thing that I want you to think. And so I'm going to go to whatever means I have to to get that to happen. Think about a rapist. It doesn't matter how it hurts the victim or the emotional trauma his actions will have. The fear that person will live with for the rest of their lives or the damage that it'll do to their family. He wants what he wants and so he just takes it. James says of a selfish person that when you don't get what you want, he says you quarrel and fight. When you don't get what you want, you quarrel and fight. Let me ask you a question. When you don't get what you want, how do you act? Oh, hostile, angry. How about the rest of you? Stupid, selfish. Any of you act immature? Any of you pout? You make them pay in another way? How else? Disappointed? In my notes here, I have church people are so nice until they don't get their way. Pastors, hey, pastors are so nice until they don't get their way. Then they show what's really in their hearts. If you want to see what's in people's hearts, don't give them their way and see how they respond. Just say no. Say no to an employee. Say no to your spouse. Say no to your kids. Someone asks you for something, just say no. And see how they respond. And we'll find that a lot of people, to be honest with you, are if you don't think you're selfish, let someone say no to you. Let them just say no. Nah, I don't think so. A lady in Baltimore, she loved us. I mean, like we were like, down there, people, treat, people were very, they were always very kind to us and very patient with us. We're, we were tw- 19 and 21. And we could not do any wrong until... Like, she'd have issues with all other people in the church, and I was the golden boy. Until the pastor told me to do something that was one of the things that she liked to do. And so, whenever it came time, you know, I went ahead and did it, because he told me to. He's like, no, I want you to do it, and I did it. And from then on, man, she was, like, she was, she had an attitude. It was funny, it was like, I didn't want to do this thing, I didn't want to do it anyhow. I was happy to let her do it. And he told me to do it, so I had to. And she was, she was ugly. And I'm like, I don't want to do it anyhow. You can do it. But from then on, she had something to, you know what it did? It just, it just showed what was in her heart. It showed what was in her heart. And when someone says no to us, when we don't get our way, how you act shows what's in your heart. And I know I don't want to look at it. 
I don't want to look at what's in my heart. I like to think that what's in my heart is always pure and right and good. And, and whenever someone says no to us, where does our focus go upon? How selfish they are. How self-centered they are. How could they do this to me? And all of that's pointing right back to how selfish I am. Wow. Someone can't even say no to me without me getting mad. Someone can't say no to you without you getting mad. I don't think this is for this service, but I do feel like I have a word from the Lord. And I don't know if you guys want to hear it. Like I said, it's probably not for this service. It's probably for the second. Are you sure? As I was writing my message, I just felt like there's some people that your family is afraid to say no to you because you'll make such an idiot of yourself. You make life hard on them when you don't get your way. And you think it's cute and laugh about it. But the truth is that you stink to be around. Someone needs to tell you the truth. You can be nice when you get your way, but you're unbearable when you don't. And God says you need to repent. That it's not cute. That it's sin. And that others see it and they're sick of it. If that is you, you need to repent. We laugh about them. And I know we're laughing now, but we laugh about those things and people will kind of make light of, ha ha, that... That's just the way I am. It's sin. It's wrong. And it devastates people. It's selfishness. It's self-centered. And it's the opposite of what God is. And oftentimes it's with the people who we say we love the most. That's the hard part. Like if it's with your enemy, okay. That's not right either, but okay. But certainly not with the people who are supposed to be the safest and the closest with us. Now, I have this statement too. You say you're hurt, but that's like a spiritual way of acknowledging that you're really selfish. There's a lot of people who say, well, I'm so hurt. Oh, oh, I'm so hurt. And what they really mean is I'm just selfish. I didn't get my way. And it's very spiritual to say I'm hurt. I was wounded. And what that does, oftentimes it covers up the fact that my very nature If God is not at work within me constantly, my very nature is selfish and self-centered. And it says, satisfy me, satisfy me. That's what my flesh says all the time. That's what your flesh says all the time. It says, just give me what I want. Don't get in my way. Don't make it hard. Why are you making it hard on me getting what I want? That's what it says. Now, James goes on to say that you don't have it because you don't ask God. And when you do ask God, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. The problem for many is that they want what they want, whether it be a particular object or a person or to have their way more than they want God. That's why James continues to write in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Underline that in your Bible. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. I believe other versions say, therefore, submit yourselves 
then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, James doesn't worry about offending the church he is writing to. He calls them an adulterous generation, you adulterous people. He says that they were giving to someone else the love and the devotion that belonged to God and God alone. Who was this rival lover? It was this world. These people were more in love with their world and its pleasures than what they were with God. They were just saying, I want my life to be convenient. Don't inconvenience me. Do you ever notice when someone's driving down the road and you're in a hurry and they're going slower than what you want to go? What do we get? We get impatient. Any of you ever get angry? We get angry. Why? Because you're inconveniencing me. I should never be inconvenienced. That's what we're saying. I should never be inconvenienced. Everybody should just move out of the way because I didn't get up on time. Because I overslept. Because I stayed up late last night watching TV. I'm late for work. Or because I didn't prepare properly. So now the whole world should just move out of the way and let me get to where I'm going. That's what we say. Now we don't say that to ourselves. But that's what our actions say. The world is James' term For the life that's lived as if this present world were all that there is. It is a life that's lived without regard to God. Or without the proper regard to God. It's a life that's lived according to the values, desires, and aspirations of this temporal realm. What is worldliness? It's thinking like the world. It's talking like the world. It's acting like the world. This is a time when the church is filled with worldly Christians. But the problem is that true Christians cannot be continually worldly. Yes, as Christians, we can and do slip into worldly behaviors from time to time. But that's a far cry from continual worldliness. If the pattern of our lives is selfishness and worldliness, we have plain evidence that we're deceived about our relationship with God. If our life is characterized by selfishness and self-centeredness, something's messed up here. You see that? If everything is about me, the reason why Christians can't be habitually selfish, the reason why Christians, why I can't be continually self-centered or worldly, is because God has put his spirit in us. And his spirit yearns jealously. The Holy Spirit desires that we give ourselves entirely to God. And will not let us go on sinning without attacking our conscience. There's a war that's going on. That's why we lose our peace. Did you ever notice when you walk in disobedience, your peace goes out the window? When you do it your way, the peace slips away. I don't know why. When your focus is upon you, trying to make you happy, did you ever notice the more we focus on ourselves and focus on trying to make me happy and get me what I want, the more I do that, the more peace I lose. The scripture teaches that when I lose my life, I find it. 
But when I try to save it, I keep losing it. And the same Lord gives us grace. The world would prove to be too strong for us if the Lord did not give us grace for living in it. You notice what he says in that verse? He says, do you think scripture says without reason, he jealously longed for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. You see, in the midst of what we want, in the midst of my selfishness, when I humble myself before God, what does he do? He gives me grace. He gives me empowerment of the spirit to be able to do without, to be able to say no, to be able to endure. What does God do? In the midst of difficulties, my flesh wants to be selfish. My flesh wants to be self-centered. And in the midst of that, God comes and he brings grace. Who does he bring grace to? To the humble, not to the proud, to the person who says, God, I feel like in my heart, I desperately need this. I need to be appreciated or I need to be recognized or I need that promotion or I need that raise or Lord, I need, I need someone to show me respect or Lord, I need the kids to quit doing this or, or that. And in the midst of it, but God, I humble myself before you. I'll let you fight my battles. God, you're my provider. And in the midst of that, what does God do? He comes and he gives grace. In the midst of difficult times, he gives us grace so that we can do what he has called us to do. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, when you humble yourself, the world would be too strong for us. But if we humbly seek his grace, he will not fail to give it. If we proudly reject it, God will set himself battle ray against us if we're prideful if we're arrogant because the word says that god what does he do with the proud he resists the proud he resists he fights against the proud but he shows favor to the humble as we conclude i want to say this you the holy spirit's speaking to us individually today he's speaking to me for you Are there places and relationships, circumstances that you've been blaming everybody else? But if you will stop for just a second, you've been blaming other people for years about stuff and that hasn't fixed nothing, right? She, if she would just do this, well, chances are she's probably not going to. I'm just telling you up front. I doubt if she's going to. If he would just, I don't know that he will. So in the midst of that, we allow God to give you grace. In the midst of that, will you take a moment and look at your own heart and say, God, where am I being selfish? For me to be happy, comes we just have to have it my way for me to be happy. And I'll tell you what, when you get a home filled with selfish people, it's a miserable place. You get a church filled with selfish people, it's horrible. Honestly, in a marriage, if you have two selfish people, they're headed for divorce. They're headed for destruction. A church that's, you know, you have strife and you have all kinds of self-centeredness and you have quarreling, you have worldliness, people are fighting, they're worldly. When people are self-centered, they're oftentimes they're worldly. They're acting like the world and their actions are like the world. 
usually when that's going on, there's prayerlessness too. We're self-centered. We're selfish. We're worldly. We're prayerless. We're quarreling. We're fighting. He says, that's what happens. Now, just take a moment. In your relationships, either with God, with others, where are you? Where are you being selfish? There's people who they absolutely cannot see how they are selfish. And they'll always be like, well, they hurt me. Like I said, what they really mean is you got in my way because I want my way. And that hurts me. Can we just ask the Holy Spirit to show us, not show everybody else, not focus upon, Lord, can you just look at my heart and where I'm selfish, allow me to humble myself before you and to repent of that. And I will tell you what, when you do that, this flood of grace comes in. And there's things that you say, I can never live. I can never live in a relationship where this person doesn't. I have to have that. And God can just pour in grace where you can be content and peaceful and full of joy. I'm telling you. Or you can be battling all the time. You have a choice. So let's pray and let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we confess before you that there are certain things in our lives that we have blinders to. There's certain things that we can't see. We have scales on our eyes. It's so easy to see the faults in others, but so difficult to recognize our own faults. And I pray right now that you would begin to remove the blinders. And, and I, I, let me just say this. I think that there are some people you could not handle like God removing all of the blinders from you because it would be devastating. But the, the Lord's just going to, over a period of time, he's just going to pull back layers and he's going to show you some things where, and it's not that your person's a terrible person, it's, it's he's going to show you things where you've been selfish where you've been blaming others, but you're the one. And Lord, I pray that we would not wink at that, that we wouldn't make a joke about it. Lord, I pray we wouldn't expect the people who we love or who we say we love or the people who are closest to us to accept that kind of behavior. I pray, God, that's just more selfishness to expect them to put up with it. And so I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts and that you would show us where we've been selfish and where it's been all about us. And I pray that you'd relieve us of that, Lord. I pray not only we'd be able to confess that, but I pray that the next time that that begins to show up in our lives, that we would just call out to you, that we would humble ourselves before you, and you would provide more grace. I pray that for people, maybe some quarrels and strife and a warring has gone on inside of them, I pray that there would be a peace that comes inside of them instead. And I'll thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And also this, I believe that confession needs to be made. I believe that maybe there's some people who you've been selfish with and you're afraid to say anything to them because you're afraid they'll use that against you. I just really want to encourage you to, I just believe that there's some confession, maybe in the next day or so, that you would just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to give you opportunities to confess to some people. Well, you know what? This is where I've been selfish in our relationship. And to bring those things into the light. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We just ask that there be just new life brought into relationships, not only with others, but with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.